Hello and welcome to this episode of the Spiced In Podcast. My name is Jacob and I'm your host. Today we will be talking about the Mandalorian Gallery, episodes 7 and 8, as well as this whole slew of news, courtesy of StarWars.com, from this past week. The biggest of which is The Mandalorian is coming to print. So we have six, well really seven, major projects announced for The Mandalorian. Uh, The first is The Art of the Mandalorian Season 1 by Phil Stosak and cover by Doug Chang. Then we have an original novel about The Mandalorian. Uh, It's an adult novel by Adam Christopher. We have The Ultimate Visual Guide by Pablo Hidalgo. We have The Mandalorian Allies and Enemies, which is a level 2 reader uh, by Brooke Vital. We also have a Mandalorian 8x8 storybook uh, with a to-be-revealed title, also by Brooke Vital. And then we have the junior novelization, which should just be the events of Season 1 uh, by Joe Schreiber. So that's, you know, with a lot there. Uh, we don't really know a whole lot beyond that. We uh, Again, the adult novel will be an original book. Uh, original story, and all of this will be launching sometime between winter 2020 and spring 2021. So a lot to uh, cover there. Uh, We're also getting comics from both Marvel and IDW. So Marvel will be kind of your traditional comic books. IDW will either probably get a graphic novelization, and IDW normally does like younger reader stuff, for the Star Wars comics, we're going to get probably either a graphic novelization of Season 1 or a like spin-off of the Star Wars Adventures comic book series, which is just targeted at a younger audience. So, a lot going on there. The pre-order links are live for both the original novel and the art of The Mandalorian, so you can check those out on Amazon if you're interested. Another big story we had this week was the Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark is coming out. August 25th. We've known about this for a little while, but they released uh, some more information about the book. It's going to be an anthology series with a bunch of different writers taking on different stories from the TV show. Uh, So all of them have taken an arc or an episode and based a new story around that. So we're just going to do a rundown uh, of all of the different authors and their stories. So we have Lou Anders. He's writing Dooku Captured and the Gungan General based on those episodes. Tom Engelberger with Bane's Story, which is based on the episodes Deception, Friends and Enemies, The Box, and Crisis on Naboo. We have Preeti Scheiber with uh, Hostage Crisis, based on the episode of the same name. We have E. Ann Convery with The Bug, based on the episode Massacre. We have Zoraida Cordova with The Lost Night Sister, based on Bounty. We have Sarah Beth Durst with Almost a Jedi, based on A Necessary Bond, part of the Gathering arc. Uh, we have Greg Van Eckout with Kenobi Shadow, based on the episode Lawless. Jason Fry with Sharing the Same Face, based on the episode Ambush. Uh, Yoon Ha Lee with The Shadow of Umbara, based on the Umbara arc from uh, Season 3. Uh, we have Rebecca Roanhorse with Dark Vengeance, based on the episode Brothers. And Ursu with Pursuit of Peace, based on Heroes of Both Sides. Uh, and that is all 11 stories, and it's going to be released again on August 25th, so look forward to that. I'm probably going to be, I'm thinking about doing a rewatch of all these episodes, and maybe doing a podcast just kind of talking about those. Uh, I'm really excited. There's a lot of really solid Clone Wars episodes in here, and, you know, and arcs. Whenever we I talk about the Clone Wars, I always kind of, I mean, I enjoy it, but I enjoy specific parts of it. There's a lot of filler, a lot of fluff. 
So they picked out some of the best stories of the whole series. So I'm really excited to see those with a little added extra to them. So I'm really excited to see that. And uh, yeah, we might we might have a little bit more uh, to talk about that in the next I don't know, coming weeks. Uh, we also had uh, Lego Mosaics, uh, a new a new product line from Lego. It, they released a bunch of different ones, but one, they have a Star Wars one, which it's a giant tile of like one by one circular studs, and you make a little mosaic, and you can buy a Star Wars kit, which you can either build Kylo, Maul, or Vader uh, with the same kit, and pick which one you want. Or you can buy all three, and it's a you stack three tiles together, and you have a, a vertical three by one uh, Darth Vader portrait. Uh, they are like $115 though, so it's really kind of meant as more an art piece and not as much a you know a Lego set. So I'm probably not going to get one with that kind of price tag on it, uh, but they do definitely look really cool. Uh, other news: we have Solo is coming to Disney Plus this Friday, the 10th. So that will be should be the last Star Wars movie uh, to come to Disney Plus. We should have the entire entire series up now. Then uh, let's see, uh, I mentioned it last week, but we have the SpiceDen.com now, and there's a lot more content since we last talked. Uh, there's now a few articles with one about the Mandalorian publishing initiative that I spoke about. So and I might be writing an article on that Clone Wars stuff as well. So check those out if you're interested. Again, the SpiceDen.com. We also have a Master and Apprentice book review up, so you can check that out as well if you're interested in getting more into reading. Uh, I give a non-spoiler review as well as some spoilers, so you can kind of base your base your purchasing on that. Uh, one thing I am doing with this website is anytime I have an article, especially for book reviews, I'm going to have Amazon referral links up. Uh, you know, if you're you know, I don't ask that you buy something, but if you you know, if you're interested already and you're going to buy it anyways. Uh, and you find some more information on my website that helps you out, I'd you know, i appreciate it if you go check those out. It uh, costs you the same. I get a little kickback. I would love to be able to just, you know, pay for the hosting fees for my website would be great. You know, that's that's a big stretch goal, but I think it would be a really nice thing to shoot for uh, just so I'm not paying completely out of pocket for this. But yeah, if you're interested, check out book reviews, check out articles if I have a relevant product, I will give you an Amazon referral link and you can feel free to uh, go from there. So we got that. And the last bit of news for the podcast, I've been hidden, I've hinted at it a few times, but we are having a special guest on our next episode. We're going to be joined by Brick Hardmeat from the Galaxy of Bureaus podcast. Uh, if you have listened to my show at all, you know those guys, they're great. I've been on their show twice now. And uh, they're a lot of fun to hang out with. I had Darth Darkett on for the Clone Wars Season 7 finale, and I'm having Brick on now to talk. Well, I'm going to leave it as a little surprise. I'll just say it's my first episode about something that is not canon. So we're going Legends, and uh, we're going to have a little fun with Brick, just kind of chill and chat. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we're going to have a pretty good episode for you next week. But that should be all for news. Uh, So we're going to move right into... Our main topic, which is The Mandalorian Gallery, Episodes 7 and 8. So Episode 7 is all about the music of the series. Personally, this meant a whole lot to me. I have a pretty big background with music. I'm, let's see, I'm 24 now. So I've been playing instruments, been playing music for uh, 13 years, I think now. Right about. I think that's right. I started in sixth grade, like a lot of American school children did, and uh, played instruments throughout college. I graduated two years now, two years ago now. So 
haven't played much since graduation, but it's definitely something I'm going to get back to hopefully in the next year or two, although I'm sure my dog would hate it. But it's music's been a whole lot to me. It's been a huge part of my life. So seeing this episode was really cool. We got to see a lot from the composer of the series, uh, Ludwig Göransson. Uh, he you know, talked about his creative process and everything. It was just super cool to watch as someone who is you know, pretty into music and into you know creating and playing music and listening as well so he talked about his process one of the first things he started with was recorders and you know if you if you watch the episode you're probably not going to recognize the recorder he played on recorders you're playing in elementary school are often soprano recorders this is a bass recorder so it's a lot larger produces a lot deeper sound and he used that for like the intro to the theme and then he shows you his process of layering different sounds on top of that so starting with the recorder and then the drums, and piano, and bass, and then acoustic guitar, and then how that all kind of comes together, and then the orchestration of that. So, really cool to see that. A bit of background about him, he was roommates with Ryan Coogler at USC, who was the director of the Black Panther, and he also had some connections with Donald Glover, which shows, you know, how he got involved with Favreau and this project, Favreau big in the MCU, and then he had Donald Glover as uh, Simba in his Lion King remake recently, so a lot of connections there, and they they brought him in, and one of the key things is they wanted him to do something different from the, the typical John Williams Star Wars soundtrack. John Williams is iconic and means an incredible amount to both Star Wars and just cinematic music as a whole, like it's the largest possible set of shoes you could step into. Uh, but instead of, you know, wanting to ape what he did, they just want him to do completely something completely different, which was very, it's, if they went just more Star Wars, we, we, we wouldn't have as inspired a soundtrack as we got. So that was really good. But, you know, we go back to his studio and he talks a little bit more about, you know, his process. He, he talks about this rare guitar synthesizer he had and how, you know, you can't, you can't recreate this with computers nowadays. Like it's the analog versus digital conversation and how there's so much, you know, digital is, is super important, but there's so much more raw rawness to an analog uh, creation. So that was really cool to see. And one of his big driving factors was the whole, just the nature of the project is, we talked about it earlier in some of the previous episodes, is when the actor doesn't have a face and doesn't really speak that much, you have to try and tell a story through other means. And part of that is the music. Uh, something I always dreamed about, like, yeah, especially like when I was in high school, uh, when I thought about having music as a career, uh, was playing in an orchestra for a soundtrack, whether that's for like a video game or a movie or something like that. Uh, I definitely don't have that talent level, uh, but it was something I always really wanted to do, and just I, I love seeing them now. So it was cool to see the behind the scenes uh, of that. And uh, we, my girlfriend and I watched the uh, Frozen making of documentary this past week, and they had more of that. So. It's it's really an enjoyable thing to see and just how their process of how it's music and it's art and it, you, it takes a lot of interpretation, but it's also laser focused. You have to be perfectly timed up with the, the what's happening on the screen and you have to be perfect with your playing ability. You can't miss notes in something like this. You It has to be spot on. So that was really cool. And again, more about his creative process. He just said how he basically like locked himself away in a, his room for a couple months with just his instruments, no computers or anything like that, and just tried to pound away some new ideas. So he came to the set with like five five-minute-long tracks to sample 
and we actually see like a clip uh, of behind the scenes where he shows up and shows uh, Favreau and Bryce Dallas Howard the uh, the intro recorder bit while they're on the set filming for Chapter Four, and like he even in, in this basic early recording he used a bathtub to create the reverb uh, with that uh, re- recorder, which is super cool. They also talk a little bit about his uh, his music for Chapter 6, The Prisoner, uh, with the, the Mousy was the song he made, and he went a lot. He went pretty old school. He has a bunch of old, he has a bunch of like analog electronics with patch cables all over the place, and just pretty much tooling around. And he said like almost is out of random that this song came together. As much as I know, like with classical music, this is completely out of my wheelhouse. So that was kind of more just me taking in what he did. And they go back and talk more about the orchestra and how important that is to bring this sense of scale and bring, they fully realize his creation through the orchestra. And it was super cool that he had his pregnant wife was the concert master. So she's like the lead violin player for an orchestra that kind of is, you know, everyone is looking to her as well as the conductor, obviously, and listening into her and her style. Uh, and they just go on to say just, you know, how the music brings it all together, how it unites it and really creates this whole vision, uh, but that was that episode. The, these two episodes, I feel like there's a lot going on, but not a lot to talk about. I feel like it's best to just embrace it and experience it by watching. Like you're not gonna get much from me commenting on it. The next episode was connections, and it's talking about the connections to all the the Star Wars universe as a whole. And really, it's like playing a big game of I Spy, and they just like here's this thing we brought from this movie and this movie, and I watched this first with my girlfriend, who is definitely getting more into Star Wars, but, like, the first time I watched it, it's like, oh, yeah, that one's from Empire. Yeah, that's from uh, the Holiday Special. Yeah, that's from Ewoks Adventures. Like, it was kind of fun just seeing what all I recognized before they kind of exp- explained it. Uh, but they're, you know, they're trying to bring in a lot from the universe and, uh, and have them as, like, reference points, which I th- I find super cool. I love connecting the dots. It's one of the things I really like about reading the books is, you know, is seeing, oh, here's this reference. I know that comes from this book. And now I know that that helps me, you know, that influences my interpretation of the book I'm reading because they might name drop someone, but for someone that's not as informed, they just see the name, they kind of move on. I see the name. I think of the three other books this person was in and all the character development they've had and what that means. So I really like this kind of stuff. But it was just, like, basically rattling off lists of everything that they took from the universe. They had, like, the Incinerator Trooper came from The Force Unleashed. The E-Web Cannon came from Empire Strikes Back. The Death Troopers from Rogue One. Wilro Hood. Wilro Hood was... uh, What a great callback for that. That It was the ice cream maker dude in the background of Bespin on Empire Strikes Back. Someone that the fans just kind of drew to for the, the absurdity that this dude was just... Again, it's the old school Lucasfilm, Star Wars where props are just whatever they could get their hands on, just like basically kind of like, it's like walking into a thrift store, just pulling off five random items off the shelf and saying, let's see what we can do with this. Like, that's kind of the, the vibe you get. So we had this character in the background that was holding an ice cream maker. So, and of course he becomes basically an old meme of a character. There are people that dress up with him at Celebration and run their their ice cream makers around the, the uh, convention hall. And now, now the uh, the ice cream maker has been canonized as basically a little safe, a little personal safe. So that was that was really cool with Wilro. Uh, we also had they talked about just trying to bring things in that were background pieces in the old movies and trying to give them, breathe them new life. Basically, like you had IG88 to IG11, 
the Devronians uh, with uh, Berg. You had the droid EV-99. Uh, you had the Quarrens, which I've, I would say they've kind of gotten their, their due now, with like especially with all the stuff in the Clone Wars and everything. But yet Blurgs, you had Ugnaughts, like all these things that were just minor, minor background pieces in the original trilogy that are really being brought out and expanded upon, which is kind of just the whole vibe of like the extended expanded universe really but something interesting they're saying quill was originally going to talk like an ugnaught which if you've watched rebels is lots of basically pig squealing and grunts uh but they like watched they watched early footage of it and it's just like with him talking with the jawas it's like you got pig snort pig like snorting and jawas speak and then the mando just staring blankly in subtitles and it's like dude this isn't watchable so they had to switch him up they got nick nolte in and obviously it worked really well they also brought in the gonk droid. They talked this conversation of we're trying to strike this fine line between fan service, like superficial fan service, and more of kind of building and, and creating a, a a deep, diverse world. I think they, they I think they hit that. I, I would say there are probably moments where fan service is a little more underhanded, a little didn't really hit the mark as much. But I think for the most part, they really get that balance pretty well. Something else they talked about that was really cool is the ATSD and how. You know, in the original trilogy, it's a stop-motion creature with, uh, you have the hitches and the kind of almost unnatural movement of it. It looks good, but it, you, you definitely see the, the hitch. And when they went out and, you know, they now they have the ability to do this all in CG, they had to make sure that it still feels like it did in the original trilogy. So you're taking reference shots of the old stop-motion and trying to give it be a little bit more smooth, a little bit more realistic, but also still have the same vibe as the original. And something that they did with the Blurgs too, although we also got stop motion Blurgs when he was looking at uh, the Blurgs through his binox. But yeah, and just some other things they pulled in. The gun, his his pulse rifle was originally uh, Boba Fett's rifle in the holiday special, which is the first canon appearance of, well, not canon anymore. It was the first actual appearance of Boba Fett. It was like a little cartoon that played in the middle of it. They also, they recreated Mos Eisley Cantina one-to-one. They uh, they had the, the volume, of course, you know, the video wall that we're tying into it. Everything, all the, the bar itself and the, the the booth that they sat in were all tried to, they were all recreated from A New Hope all down to the smallest of details. So you also see, but you see that evolution of the cantina where now, you know, back in A New Hope six years ago or whatever, droids weren't allowed in and now they're running the bar and the cool thing about that is actually had mark hamill in to voice the bartender droid eb99 and he tweeted a bunch about it afterwards that apparently he's been doing voice cameos in star wars for a long time now they just have like a a fake kind of pin name for him and he would do the voices of a bunch of different background characters which i think is really cool uh mark hamill would be uh, i mean beyond being luke skywalker for a lot of people he's the joker he's he's a really good voice actor and it's cool to see that he's been doing that in Star Wars for a little while now. Uh, but they also brought in R5-D4, which was the, the droid that almost became R2-D2 in, the, uh, in A New Hope, the one that they bought from the Jawas and then crapped out. They, uh, they, Filoni was just saying, like, yeah, we had an R5 unit, and I just had him repaint it to look like R5-D4, and we gave him a little, like, grease stain where the motivator blew out. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that he probably never would have left the planet. Again, only, like, it's... In real life, it's been like 44 years, but or 42 years, but in actuality, in the universe, it's been like six years. So he's probably still just roaming around there doing whatever. But the coolest thing out of this episode by far was definitely the 501st. And if you don't know what the 501st is, I mean, 
come on. But they're they're the fan legion of cosplayers for I mean they're they're officially run through Lucasfilm now. Uh but they they basically mostly do stormtrooper, imperial troopers, but there's uh, some other divisions like they have clones and stuff like that. But they're people that take cosplaying very seriously. They have reference photos, like they have a certain if you want to be a member you have a certain uh level of detail you need to meet. Uh, and they are very, very particular. But they, they do a lot of charity events, whether it's like going to hospital visits. They'll do parades. If, they'll do like movie premieres, all kinds of stuff. But they were talking about the last episode where they had the, the, the stormtrooper garrison behind Moff Gideon. They're like, we don't have enough stormtroopers to really get what we want. So they just called up, they call up the 501st chapters in, uh, in the, the garrisons, is what they're called, in California. It's got like 30 dudes to show up the next day. Uh, and uh, fill out that scene. It's super cool because they didn't even know what they were coming for. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're just gonna call from Lucasfilm. They want us down for some event. Sure, whatever. Throw on our armor. Let's get down there." And they show up, and they're like, "Oh uh, yeah, you're on the TV show, which at this point you probably haven't heard much beyond rumors of. So yeah, uh, you're you're in it now. <laughs> which I mean, that's like one experience that would be like. I mean." Just the dream, like you're these the biggest Star Wars fans, and you're bringing them in and telling them, "Hey, you're gonna be on screen in Star Wars." Like so cool, and even like something I didn't think about the first time I was like, you know, well, when I first was watching it, like Filoni comes on, and he's saying how it's the dream of everyone. Like it'd be the coolest thing for any of these guys to have a screen use prop or like a, you know, like a helmet or a gun as part of their costume. <laughs> but now everything that they wore is screen used because. Their costume was part of the television show, so their entire costume is now a screen use prop, and they just get to take it home with them, and that's their that's their suit. So that's super that's super sweet. Uh, the last thing they talked about was the uh, X-wing shot with Dave, Deborah, and Rick uh, in the Prisoners episode. Uh, how none of them were really interested to do it, but Favreau kind of was like, "You must do this shot," uh, and they compared it back to the original trilogy. And how everyone should, you should be like kind of act cool, calm, and collected, like you're a, a stone cold pilot. Uh, but the, the funny thing was the cockpit they used, they didn't have an X Wing cockpit in on Skywalker Ranch for whatever reason. So they took a X Wing that was supposed to go down to uh, Orlando for Galaxy's Edge. And they're like, hey, I need you to divert that shipment here. We need to use it for a day <laughs> so we can get our shots in. And they had like a vertical support strut, strut in the center where the uh, seat would go. So that to, you know, because they have hurricane winds and stuff like that they have to worry about uh, since it's outdoors. So they had to cut it out and put a seat in for them. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's what they that's what they used for the shot. They just sat in this full size X-Wing. And hyper nerd me wants to point out that that cockpit, that X-Wing that they had is a T-70. The model the, X, the Resistance uses while the... Ones in the show were T-65s, which are what the Rebels use. So clearly we got a big issue here. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm kidding. It's, uh, I mean, I would love to sit in an X-Wing, so I can't, can't really complain. So uh, I think that's about all I got for those two episodes. Uh, and uh, that's it for the gallery. I think it was an overall super cool series to watch. It was really awesome to see this behind-the-scenes footage. And I really hope they do another one for Season 2. Because I'm sure there'll be a lot more that they can talk about. Maybe maybe a, a, a shortened se- season. I don't think I need... I mean, there'll be more practical effects, new practical effects. But I don't know if I need to see Baby Baby Yoda twice. Or I need to see uh, the Razor Quest, Crest twice. Or the, the volume. 
There's a lot of things that you're probably not going to want to repeat, but I'm sure they can have enough content for like a four episode season. So please, Disney, make me more Disney gallery for, yeah, and even for more, more stuff than the Mandalorian. I'm, I'm a big fan of these behind the scenes docuseries. So keep them coming. Uh, but with that said, I think that's all we got this week. Uh, don't forget, we have Brick Hard Meat of the Galaxy of Bureaus podcast coming on next week. So come check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hit me up at Spiced In Pod on Twitter and Instagram, Patreon, Spiced In, uh, the new SpicedIn.com. Please, please go check that out. It's been a lot of fun and a lot of work. So I uh, hope you uh, get some enjoyment out of it. Uh, but that's all I got for this week. Thanks as always to Granbull for providing the music for this show. And may the force be with you. Mm-hmm.